Hello and welcome to Bondcast, a podcast series where we discuss our views on the latest themes and events shaping rates markets. I'm Imogen Backray, UK rate strategist, and I'm very excited today to be joined by a full suite of Bondcasters and market specialists, Giles Gale and Jan Navruzzi. Um, Jan, let's start with you because in a, well, actually otherwise fairly quiet summer week, I think US CPI has been the highlight. Um, it was a big market mover yesterday. On Wednesday, we're recording this on Thursday, as usual, uh, because it came slightly below expectations. So can you kind of talk us through what, what the drivers were there and, and what was the miss, I suppose? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of a relief for the Fed and, and generally for you know, for us too, for the average consumer as well, because inflation is a is a drag on everyone. But uh, on the bright side, uh, inflation decelerated materially. Uh, compared to the previous read, we got uh, undershoots, pretty much broad-based uh, undershoots compared to what markets were expecting, particularly the headline component, which includes uh, energy prices and food prices came flat on a monthly basis, so at 0%. If anything, the unrounded number has a negative uh, sign in front of it, so uh, headline is in slightly deflationary territory just for, uh, just for, just for July, and a lot of that was, of course, due to the sharp drop in oil prices from where they were at the end of June, uh, sorry, in gasoline prices. And uh, some of that also was reflected in uh, in falls in airfares and lodging away from home and used cars, which indirectly you know, are uh, related, well, almost directly actually related to, to oil prices as well. Uh, so while that's good, it's it might be... You know, kind of like a dead cat bounce type of uh, uh, read because if should oil prices recover, those could also kind of move in the opposite direction. Uh, but on the other hand, we still saw firm pressure in uh, in shelter components such as rent and owner's equivalent rent, uh, the OER metric, which tend to be a lot stickier and kind of more persistent by design. Uh, but they were still a little bit lower than compared to the last month. So all in all, I would say good news. Uh, inflation definitely is trending in the right direction. If this is the beginning of a trend, it is in the right direction. But it's still important to keep in mind that on a year-on-year basis with 0% in July, that leaves us at 8.5% uh, on a year-on-year basis in, in headline and 59 in core. So we're definitely not out of, you know, the Fed hasn't, uh, is not in a position to declare, declare victory yet. And we're definitely not out of the trenches when it comes to uh, inflation. Let's talk a bit more about what it really means for the Fed then, because this weaker than expected CPI number comes hot off the heels of a stronger than expected jobs number the week before. Um, How does that leave them for September? How does it leave the debate, I suppose, which is really 50 or 75? Um, How does it leave your view? Um, What what are you thinking? Um, So... We have we have our Fed call still unchanged at 50 basis point for September. This is definitely good news for the Fed. And I, I just I have to put it out there that it almost feels like it is in the direction of the soft landing that they're pursuing. We had the jobs numbers that was very good. We had inflation that's uh, moving in the right direction. So that is the exact scenario that they want to be, tightening while growth is not falling off a cliff and inflation is actually... Uh, subsiding so so that's the good news we it is still of course too early to make a you know a, a short statement for september whether they're going to go 75 or 50 because we're going to get another set of 
uh, CPI number, uh, another set of CPI data, another set of jobs data, uh, a lot more, you know, ISMs and other kind of um, growth measures. So we're going to get a, a little bit of a better look into the economy by the time the September 21 meeting comes around. But for now, we keep our forecast remains for 50 basis points in September, followed by 25 and 25 in, in November and December to kind of wrap up the year. Uh, but you know, right after the right after the number, a lot of Fed officials made a point to come out and publicly express their view that the Fed has not won won the victory on, against inflation yet. There's still a lot of work to be done, so markets shouldn't really, uh, you know, act like we've uh, the Fed is ready to pivot or turn around. Uh, so, so basically, leaves our Fed call unchanged and with a little bit more confidence that they might be able to scale back to 50. Uh, instead of maintaining the aggressive, or I should say, like the the more aggressive pace of 75 basis points uh, per meeting, and but I think generally for for markets, where that leaves us is the uh, front end might have found a little bit of a relief for now, while the whole Goldilocks scenario that I talked about with growth coming in a little bit stronger than expected, inflation coming lower than expected could add steepening pressures for uh, for at least over the next few weeks. So tactically, I think that makes a little bit more sense to me. While I don't, I'm not so convinced that we're, you know, we have the, the inflation saga is behind us and eventually we could see curves flattening even further. But for example, two stands sits at negative 36 basis points right now. And, you know, after the CPI, I was, uh, I was having some discussions internal and external too. My, for me, going seeing that steepening up to negative 25 is for me a more likely scenario than going to negative 50 over the next, call it like until Jackson Hole or so. This could be my famous last words, but I think for now uh, that positioning and trend chasing has been a successful strategy this year. So I think once kind of markets get a little bit more on board with the idea that, okay, so maybe we're going to get to that soft landing view uh, or the soft landing spot then maybe we should steepen the curve a little bit, push the kind of like longer end higher in yields and leave the front end more or less unchanged. And uh, which obviously would kind of lead to these kind of like bear steepening and growth driven bear steepeners. But uh, so yeah, that's kind of like the, I, I suppose a wrap up in the US, but switching to the UK last week, uh, the kind of, we talked about your Bank of England call and you were in the process of revising your call. Can you update us on where have you settled? Has that changed from where we were? Yeah, well, I did actually just have to listen back to Bondcast before, from last week before we recorded this because I was thinking, what did I tell everyone? Uh, but I'm pleased to say that we haven't changed that call much from, from the kind of key message that I was talking about last week, um, having thought about it for a little, having a bit more time to think about it for a little bit longer. Um, so I think the, the broad message is still the same. You know, this was a pivot, we think, away from the gradualist approach that, that they had adopted so far through this cycle of kind Kind of you know a quarter point hike at, at every meeting um it was also a pivot away from how i think we interpret their guidance really you know for so long we've used their forecasts over the kind of two to three year horizon as the um as uh, the focal point for for how they might be guiding policy over over the medium term and really what they were telling us is that they've sort of done away with their forecast almost you know inflation was well below where they target two at two percent um over the two to three year horizon yet they were still hiking 50 basis points so 
in terms of what we can interpret for for future policy, it was a big pivot, um, and and therefore did change our call quite significantly. I don't think we'd officially kind of put numbers on the size or pace of hikes that we were expecting when we recorded the podcast last week because it was just after the press conference had finished. Um, but we now are officially calling for um, another fifty basis point hike in September and then another one in November and then settling back down to 25 basis points um, by the December meeting. So another 125 basis points of hikes this year, um, which would take bank rate from uh, 175 now to 3%. And then I think, you know, probably probably settles from there. I think given the haziness in their guidance and how far they've pivoted from what we kind of understood to be their full guidance previously to now this very confusing, very ambiguous um, guidance, it's, it's hard to have a lot of conviction around the sort of medium-term outlook or even the near-term outlook, to be honest. Um, but I can easily see a scenario where they kind of settle with, with rates around 3% at the turn of the year. Markets are looking for a little bit of a chance of a hike as early as uh, sort of the middle of next year. Um, And although I don't disagree that, you know, clearly recessionary pressures are rising with the Bank of England hiking at least 50 basis points at least once, then um, those risks are are even greater. But it's difficult for me to square how they will be able to credibly cut rates when we still see inflation as, as high as we do through Um, the kind of first half of next year you know even at the end of next year we still have inflation above their target we have it settling around three percent by the end of next year versus their two percent target so um, we don't formally have any cuts in our forecast but I do think that you know with the economy kind of tipping over by the end of the year it's going to be difficult for them to hike aggressively beyond three percent right that that makes sense then so how does that leave your market views, I guess? Because one of your uh, key views earlier this year was that the market has been pricing uh, too much from the BOE, which in turn would lead to, uh, uh, you know, if that corrected, would re-steepen the two stands quite considerably. So do you still like that trade? Uh, you know, where do you see rates markets going from here? <laughs> yeah, I actually got a bit sick of hearing myself say that the market was pricing in too much for the Bank of England. Uh, but I guess the good news is now I don't have to say that anymore because, um, you know, the market's pretty much, at least for the next couple of meetings, out to the end of this year, I think front ends are probably roughly fairly priced. The market has about 45 basis points, as we speak now, priced in for September, 40 an additional 40 that is by November and then about 30 ish by the end for the December meeting. So although we obviously see, you know, cumulatively slightly very marginally more tightening than that with 50, 50, 25. I think that that's probably a fair reflection of, of the balance of risks for the bank of England. The, the discussion is still about 50 versus 25, not, you know, it's not the Fed 50 versus 75 and we've not gone back to 25 or nothing. Um, so I think probably very front ends are, are pretty much fairly priced for, for the kind of tightening that, that we expect. So I did close out those two ten steepness after the meeting um, and we have the curve's been a bit volatile, but we've broadly seen flattening since then. And actually um, yesterday on Wednesday, twos, tens inverted Um And, you know, I I can understand the reasoning behind that. That's clearly a kind of recessionary 
risk that that the bank are going to hike more now but but rates are going to have to be cut further down the line and and we're going to be in this recession but actually i think probably i would still be biased to be in steepness at this point i still think that the pressures at the long end of the curve um are are still being mispriced and and for choice although i officially closed the trade still like being in is what would be in twos, tens, steepness, or in steepness further out the curve, kind of tens, thirties. I think that there's been a lot of focus on the Bank of England, and it's been the strip that's been driving most of the rest of the curve. But actually, if we take a step back and, and think a bit about the QT side of things and the supply side pressures that are going to occur at the same time that, that QT is, or active sales are kicking off, um, I think you can see quite heavy bearish influences at the long end of the curve that, that aren't yet being priced in, you know. We have um, interest expenses that are rising as rates are rising. You have QT that is not only compounding supply risks, but also costs the government, given that they will be selling most of these bonds at a loss and, and those losses are covered by the Treasury. Um, you have fiscal slippage, which was quite likely anyway, just given the fact that we were heading into you know quite a severe cost of living crisis in the second half of this year, and that next year we were already heading into a pre-election year. Um, but clearly the kind of uh, focus of the leadership candidates right now for the Tory party is, is all around the fiscal stimulus that, that they might you know, be able to provide if, if they were in office. I think markets are actually wrongly focusing on um, the impact of a Liz Truss uh, prime ministership on the Bank of England mandate uh, and less focused on, on what it might mean for the fiscal side, which I actually think is is probably more likely and, and more likely to be more impactful. Um, and so all of these things, I think, add up to pretty bearish pressures for, for the long end of the curve, which are probably capped somewhat by the fact that, you know, we are likely to, to head into a recession and, and growth is likely to be weak. So it's not as though I'm calling for kind of 10-year yields to be 100 basis points higher than here. But I do think they should be reasonably higher. And, and so we have a 10-year a yield target of 225, which I appreciate in you know, these volatile markets that we've become accustomed to. Another sort of 25 basis points um, up in yield doesn't seem like a huge move. But um, I, I think that that probably fairly balances the risks on the downside when it comes to the recession, but also the upside from, from the supply side risks and, and quantitative tightening beginning. Um, so still bearish, the long end of the curve, probably still be in steepness if I hadn't have already closed the trade out, uh, but I'd probably push those steepness back a bit. So not twos, tens, but probably tens, thirties. Um, all right, then that's probably enough on, on the UK side. So Giles, we're so happy to have you back this week. We've been missing you. Um, for anyone that's actually watching this on YouTube and not listening, you'll see that Giles is joining us from sunny Edinburgh. And he tells me that on a day like today, there's nowhere else he'd rather be than Edinburgh. Uh, so I'm expecting <laughs> joyful things from Giles today. Uh, but Giles, I guess since it's been so long since we have caught up with you, you know, so much has happened. We've had the ECB, which seems like ages ago now. We've had inflation data from Europe, growth data. Data. We've had everything that's been going on on the gas supply side um, and also, you know, all the global risks as well. So what's your updated view on, on European rates? I guess it's, um, it's a good day to bring the good news that I'm actually feeling quite bearish about things again. Um, it's been three weeks and you know, I suppose you know, a little bit of... Um, 
well, it's kind of disconnected a little bit. Um, it's not like things are dramatically different compared to when I left. Um, you know, what have we had? We've had some, I suppose, better data on balance um, on the well, both on the inflation side, I mean, as in less inflationary, I suppose, but um, also on the on the real economy side, uh, you know, particularly. Uh, in the US. But um, now, as I look at things here, I, I guess from a European perspective, the number one thing that matters is what's going on with gas. Okay. And I, my perception is that there's a lot, too much pessimism about what this means. And, um, you know, I have to be sensitive about how I talk about this because I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying it's not a bad news story overall, but I think compared to what people seem to believe uh, the worst case scenario looks like um you know perhaps it doesn't look quite so awful in the sense that uh i mean i've been i've, I've looked at a number of different sort of accountings for just how much the shortfall might be given the inventory bills and you know, all the various other sources of um savings and other ways we can get gas into content and it seems like we're talking about you know, output losses that are large, but by, you know, by the yardstick of the pandemic, for example, or the sovereign crisis or the financial crisis are actually not that great. And I would say, you know, if, if there are um, industries that need to be invited to reduce capacity uh, some you know, over a period of uh, you know, a few months um, for that perhaps over, you know, beginning of next year say then you know that I think can be addressed with fiscal policy I, I would expect that that it would be and you know, I think that actually contrary to expectations that this will just be a common or garden recession that'll bring deflation back and we'll just be back to the races with rate cuts and maybe quantitative reason and all these kinds of things. No, I don't think we're there. I just don't think we're there, but that's what we're priced for. And so I'm very comfortable pushing back against that at this point. Um, you know, the other key, uh, the, the other key points are well. You know, I, I still think, for all the reasons that we've been through um, in previous, maybe we should come back and do another deep dive on this in a, in a future podcast. But, but I think that inflation will be sticky and difficult to squeeze back out. I'm not. You know, I'm not sure that a mild recession will be enough to do that very quickly. Um, I think your reward is, as I said before, that a recession will be met with. Um, with, with, you know, with more fiscal easing, um, that will not be monetized. And you know, that's the case in your market, Imogen. Um, so I think we can agree on that. Uh, but I, I think it's also the case in, in, in Europe. And so, yeah, um, you know, this is just not an environment, as we said before, um, again and again and again, it doesn't seem like a great environment for people to be uh, dramatically increasing their demand for fixing. So, yeah, I'm bearish. Uh, as for the ECB, what do I think about them? I think that they will, um, no, I think mo most likely they'll deliver what is priced for, for this year. So that's another 100 basis points with small upside risks, I would say. But I think that the risk is that they will have more to do next year. So 
you know, market basically pricing in just a little bit more than a rate hike over 2023. I think it could be substantially more than that. So, you know, across the curve. And then just finally, I suppose, to wrap up the, well, discussion on Europe, but, but the podcast as well. What about Italy? We've had been lucky enough to have Gio join us a couple of times while you've been out. So he's been keeping us up to date on the political situation, but obviously elections aren't that far away. Um, we've had a couple of successive outlook downgrades now um, from the rating agencies. Um, but at the same time, we now know that the ECB have actually been defending the spreads a little bit um, using what they call their first sign of defense. So they've been using their reinvestments to, to buy a bit more BTPs at the expense of kind of core countries. And spreads seem to have settled in this sort of 200 basis point area how do you feel about btps now are they a buy or a sell yeah, okay i mean i hope that i'm not going to i'll have to go back and listen sorry sorry there's some um, rattling in the background I hope that's not too distracting so i'll have to go back and listen to giovanni on the previous podcast and work out all the ways i've contradicted him um but we haven't we haven't colluded <laughs> perhaps we should a little bit more listen i'm still bearish on on italy that's the bottom line I think that um, you know, the market. I, I, I think that there's there's still this question of you know the, the speed of adjustment to the the supply uh, pressure, uh, which is going to be a problem. I think that the political environment is not good, and um, I think that the ECB, while it's there, I don't think it's there to squeeze spreads much tighter than where they are now. So. Um, no, I'm not saying that I think that this is a spread which has maybe, maybe it's a 25 basis point. Maybe, maybe, you know, maybe even depending on the political environment, it could be a 50 basis point trade. But I, I, I don't, I don't think it's dramatic. Nonetheless, I think that the risk reward is um, skewed in favour of being short. That said, and it's a, it's a, it's a reasonably big but um, seasonal, seasonal. Uh, factors are very, very positive for, for it. Um, in fact, on my little total return sort of calculation um, versus Bund, it's BTPs have outperformed um, very strongly, in fact, every September since 2014 and almost every August since 2014. So I'm a little bit cautious about this and I do think that it's going to be very important to read the Italian newspapers and check how that political story is tracking. Um, because, and maybe this is the last thing I'll say, I'm not convinced that there's a crisis here. I just think it's a, uh, a market negative story at this point. All right. Could this summer be different? Let's see. All right. Thank you both for joining me, uh, Giles. It's great to have you back. And listeners, we'll catch up with you all next week. Just a reminder, if you liked today's episode, please don't forget to hit the like button and click subscribe so you can get the latest episode as soon as they're available. Thanks. See you next week. <laughs>